Amen. All right. Hey, how many guys have called a career? Raise your hand. All one of you. Okay, we're getting better. All right. You guys have fun bowling? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, guys. Uh, some of you guys didn't. Uh, ladies, you certainly didn't know what happened. Apparently, afterwards, you ready for this one? Yeah, oh, was the key word there, Bobby. Uh, apparently, you know, after the college career, they had the bowling thing. If you guys were paying attention last week in the bowls, and after that, they, they wanted to keep the fun going. So that's right. Guess who? Uh, Mario, Bobby, and Robert. That's right. Decided to keep the fun going. So they decided, hey, man, this is awesome. We're having great fellowship. Let's go out to Lake Mead. Okay, and so that's apparently what they did. And, and everything was going fine until Mario noticed that Robert forgot to tie the boat off at the side of the lake. And the boat was gone, man. It just, it totally floated away. It disappeared, right? And it was getting late last night, and, and they're on the complete opposite side of Lake Mead, and they had no water. They had no idea how in the world they're going to cross it. So Mario, being a Christian, the college and career leader, right, uh, he decides to kneel down, obviously as a Christian, and begin to pray to God. And here's apparently what he said. He says, Lord, give me the power and the strength to cross Lake Mead. And so all of a sudden, man, Mario became super strong, and he swam all the way across Lake Mead. <laughs> So Bobby, he thought, hey, man, if it worked for Mario, I'm an intern too, you know. Hey, it'll, it'll work for Bobby. And so Bobby knelt down, and he prayed. He says, Lord, give me the skills and the strength to make it across Lake Mead. So all of a sudden, Bobby, he, he whips together this canoe, and he rows himself all the way across Lake Mead. So Robert, he thought, well, hey, man, if it worked for Mario and Bobby, I know it'll work for me. So Robert, he knelt down, and he prayed. He says, Lord, give me the wisdom and knowledge to cross Lake Mead. So Robert, he turned into a woman, and he walked across the bridge. <laughs> hey, ladies, you have no idea how hard it was for me to spit that out. I feel like I need to brush my teeth as a man. But hopefully you get the point. <laughs> how many of you guys would say that Mario, Bobby, and Robert learned the hard way that sometimes the way out of your predicament is right smack dab in front of your face? Right? It's just right there, man, okay? And that's their problem. It was there the whole time. And believe it or not, I'm seeing the same thing happening to us, the American church. We are in a desperate situation in our country, and yet we seem to, I, oh, no, how do we get out of this predicament? Oh, when the whole time the answer's right there, it's us. It's Jesus in us. As we live those holy lives, get out his holy word with his holy gospel, he's the one that changes hearts. Revival busts out. And our nation prospers once again. That's the answer. Well, what's the problem? We're walking around going, oh, no, oh, what are we, oh. We're walking around like practical atheists. Acting like we don't even know who God is. Like he's not even there. As we've been seeing, folks, it's been going on so long now. Now we have generations of churches acting like this. Okay? And it's starting to go downhill. It's affecting our country. Where our behavior is affecting the country. Right? And, and again, that's the problem. It's not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God. So to avoid that irony of you and I living like these practical atheists but not knowing who God is, we're going to continue in our study on the character of God. Now, the first thing we already saw, hello, he's what? He's real. Anybody glad that this isn't all just make-believe and we're just doing this to psychologically build ourselves up? That's, oh, Bobby, I've already started doing that from Wednesday. I better refrain. Uh, the second thing we saw about God, he's not just real. What's the good news? Jesus died on the cross road. Dry, stale, boring, man-made religion. Wrong answer. That's right. He died for a personal, loving, intimate relationship. He is a personal, he's an intimate God. The third thing, hello, he's what? He's wise. He knows everything. He knows it all. He never gets it wrong. Why in the world would we go anywhere else uh, for wisdom other than him? Then we saw, of course, he's what? He's sovereign. He's not only got power over all things. He controls all things, and he works all things, even the hard times, together for good. If you love him. Anybody love him? Raise your hand. 
Right? Praise God. That's a promise from him. The fifth thing we saw, certainly, that God is what? He is powerful. He can do whatever he wants uh, within the scope of his character. He can't sin. We already went through all that. Okay? And, uh, and uh, also, though, he can fix any problem. He can save anybody. That's good news. Never stop witnessing. Never stop praying for your loved ones. And then the last three times we saw, he is what? He's not just holy. He's what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. The only attribute of God. Mentioned in the scripture three times for obvious emphasis there. And then we've been seeing, man, if we want to know the holiness of God, some of the best ways is to go back to the holy word of God. Hello. He tells us all about it, who he is, right? And that's the problem. We don't listen to him or we try to make him up into something else, which is called an idol. And we'll get to that. Uh, believe it or not, today. But we saw in the Bible the reaction of people. How many times did you hear me? Oh, the presence of God. I was alligator tears. I, I had this experience. Excuse me. When you see in the Bible, people encountered the holy presence of God. What are they doing? Man, they're freaking out. They're screaming. They're sucking carpet. Oh, right? And then we saw the reaction. We also saw the removal of people. God has a zero tolerance for sin. Right? As we saw there. And then we saw, well, hey, praise God. Good news. God's good okay, and loving. We'll get to that next, okay, in the next attribute, Lord willing. But he's good. And he lets us know in advance that there's a dilemma. He's holy and we are not. And you better get it fixed. And praise God, the answer is through Jesus. Now, last time we saw that first reminder was the tabernacle, the traveling tabernacle. okay. And there we saw the very articles of the traveling tabernacle, the gate, the altar of sacrifice, the labor, the bread, the lampstand, the veil, and the ark of the covenant that remind us what? Wow, look at those nifty articles that those Old Testament dudes had to do. No, that's not what was going on there. What? They were all reminders of what? God is holy, we are not. And every single instance, who do you need to get access to the actual holy presence of God? Jesus, over and over and over again. God's not just telling us the problem. Hey, I'm holy, you're not. You deserve to die and go to hell. All right, see you later. Over and over again in the scripture, he reminds us it's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. He's the gate. He's the sacrifice. He's the cleanser. It's, it's him. He's the high priest. Okay? But God's good. Okay? That's only one reminder. He gives us a bunch of them. He really wants to make sure that we get this message. He's holy. We're not. We need Jesus to save us from that dilemma. The second reminder he gives us is these nifty things called the Ten Commandments. Right? Now, that's the problem, isn't it? We kind of treat them like they're the ten what? Ten things to hang on your plaque. Right? Especially in your house when people come over so they can make sure that they know you're a Christian. It's like a secret code. Right? No, no, no. I know what it is. You memorize that so you can impress the Sunday school class. Uh, you don't know what they mean, but you memorize that. No, no, I know what it is. You got to get them in order, in exact order, because just in case you ever land on Jeopardy and they ask in that religious column, you can get that 500 daily double. <laughs> Are you serious? You're going to really do that? Like, I guess it could work, but that's not the purpose of the Ten Commandments, okay? And that's what we're going to see today. Oftentimes, we may know the Ten Commandments, but we have long forgotten. They are a reminder from God. He is holy. We are not. We deserve to die and go straight to hell. You can't even keep these ten things. Solution is who? Jesus. And that is reminded even in the Ten Commandments. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Paul tells us this was the purpose of the law. Right? Not as a means of righteousness because we can't even keep 10. God could have said, here, here's the five commandments. We can't even keep that. Here is what we're going to see today. Here's two commandments. We can't even keep that. He didn't say, just prove to me that you are holy like me. You are worthy of getting to heaven all on your own. You don't need my son, Jesus Christ, to save you from this dilemma. Just keep these 10 things. We can't do it. That's the issue. And that's what Paul says. Romans chapter 3. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. I love this passage. How many guys ever have one of those days where you're 
you're, you're feeling really good about yourself. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe a little bit too much than what you probably should. You know, pride's creeping in. You think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and all that stuff. Anybody ever do that? You're just like, you're all, yeah. I, at least one of you didn't lie, okay? Uh, but, uh, right, I, this passage just ruins it all for you. It's awesome. I love it. It just sets things straight, man, okay? But as we get ready to read that there, Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 9, once again, let's go ahead and stand together as we read the holy word of God. And here's what Paul says this. He says, what shall we conclude then? Now, he's talking about Jew, Gentile, right? Everybody knows that you're accountable to God, right? But here's what he says. So what shall we conclude then? He says, are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that what? Jews and Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? Anybody that's not a Jew. So in these two categories, it's all of mankind. So we have concluded that the Jews and Gentiles, all of mankind are all under what? Sin. As it is written, there is how many righteous? None, zero. In fact, if you keep reading, no, not one, right? No one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become what? Worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They are, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. Why? Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Right? He is holy. You are not. Every time you commit one, excuse me, you should be whoa. But in our arrogance, we are blinded and blind ourselves to his holiness. And so Paul continues on. So now we know that then whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be what? Silence. And the whole world held accountable to God. Well, God, you can't send me to hell. You can't judge me. That ain't right. That ain't fair. Excuse me. You are held accountable. Jew and Gentile, everybody like, even if you didn't have the copy of the Ten Commandments, Paul goes on in the context prior to this that says even the Gentiles who don't even have a copy of the law or the Bible, they know inherently that there's certain things. It's wrong to murder. It's wrong to steal. What's that? That's the Ten Commandments. Where'd that come from? A universal moral lawgiver. So he says, listen, everybody, you're without an excuse before God. We're all under sin. We know better, right? And he says this, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by what? Observing the law. Rather, through the law, what's the purpose? We become conscience of sin. Interesting. Go ahead and be seated. Conscience of sin, right? It just has, you know, it's not responsible for sin, but it's the thing that brings it out. How many guys, when you first got saved, right, you still were, you know, you loved Jesus and whatever, but you kept reading the Bible like you're supposed to do as a Christian. Next thing you know, what happened? Ooh, hey, I didn't know that was wrong, right? It, well, it made it, well, it popped it to life, right? And that's what the law does, right? And this is easy to demonstrate, right? You tell your kids, don't you dare touch that, the cookies in the cookie jar. What's the first thing in their mind? Oh, yeah, <laughs> right? I wasn't even thinking about it until you said not to do it. Right? Come back down later, and you see the crumbs all over the face, and there's, there's chocolate chips smashed all over. And did you eat it? What do they say? No, 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 no. Right? Same thing. The law brings that out. The law is holy and righteous, Paul says, but the law, it was never meant to mean of righteousness because we can't keep it. That's what he says here. Paul says he blows away, and first of all, he blows away every single self-love, self-esteem, self-respect teaching from our secular society. He says man is not basically good. You just need to mm, love yourself. He said man is basically bad, bad to the bone. I love it here, man. He, you, you feeling like you're high and mighty? Oh, you better read Romans 3. Nobody is righteous. Oh, guess what? You're worthless. You don't even understand. Your mouth is deceitful. You're full of bitterness. You don't seek God. You don't even fear him when you should. 
kind of keeps things in line. And why does Paul say this? He's just trying to ruin her self-esteem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> number one. Number two, he's trying to show us the purpose of the law. Right? What's he say there? The Ten Commandments, listen, in essence, remember this. This is the crux of our study the next four times. The Ten Commandments were not given just as a mode of behavior. They were to reveal our need of a Savior. It even rhymes. It should be easy to remember. I'll say it again. The Ten Commandments were not given as just a mode of behavior. They were to reveal our need of a Savior. Paul says it's through the law that we become conscious of sin. And why is that important? Why does God want us to know that we have sin, i.e., we are unholy? Because he wants to fix the problem. But until we admit we have a problem, how can he fix it? We talked about this before. You go to a doctor, he says, hey, my x-ray shows you got cancer. Oh, I do not. No, 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 no. Well, how can he ever fix it? Right? He could, and that's what the law does is, if you will, God's x-ray into our hearts saying, listen, listen, I'm holy. Here's the proof. You're not. You're in trouble. Your life is in danger. The great physician, my son, Jesus Christ, wants to perform surgery on you. Can you admit it? Can, can you ask for his help? That's the purpose of the law, as Paul says, okay? We, and, and that's our problem. We don't want to admit that, do we? I mean, how many guys, even today, even as a Christian, right? How many guys, since you've been a Christian, you've ever sinned? Raise your hand, right? Now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. It's called lying. And we'll get that to number nine on the ninth commandment, okay? But how many guys get up every single day, and this is just a, oh, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, Another day, I, I, can't, I can't wait to get out in public. Oh, i got to hurry and get in the shower, get dressed, because I want to get out there in the public, man, whether it's work, whether it's at the gas station or wherever I'm at today. I can't wait to declare to everybody I'm me, one and all. Hey, world, I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. Woo, yeah, look at me. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that, right? And that's the problem. We don't want it, but God knows. God sees the dilemma. So how is he going to get us to own up to it? When we have this natural propensity, they're like, oh, no. Isn't that the game we play as Christians? Isn't that funny? I, I've said this, I don't know how many times before, right? <laughs> you're on your way to church services, right? You and your wife and your family, you're having one of those intense moments of fellowship. <laughs> and before you even got in the car headed this way, what happened, right? The, the, car, the house caught on fire. You backed in the driveway too fast. You ran over the family dog or something. I mean, it's just a horrible And as soon as you hit those doors, somebody comes up to you. Hey, how you doing? Chris, I'm doing great, brother. Glad to see you. <laughs> Isn't it funny? The things we don't we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit. Yeah. And that's that's a natural. But even as a Christian, we know better. But how much? Remember the days in a non-Christian. You want some fighting words with me before I got saved? Don't you ever? Don't you ever? Don't you ever call me a sinner? I'd punch you. I'd. Just, mm. So we already have that natural propensity. We don't want to admit the sin issue as a Christian. How much more is a non-Christian? But this is our problem. God wants a relationship with his creation, but each one of us, the Bible says, we've all sinned, we fall short of his glory, we're unholy, we're disqualified, he is holy, we are not, we don't want to admit it. So here's the issue. How in the world then does a supernatural, multidimensional, holy God, an infinite holy God, how is he going to communicate this problem to tiny, finite, unholy beings, us? Well, in case the first external teaching tool didn't get your attention, with the tabernacle, he uses a second one. They're called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, okay? The Ten Commandments were God's loving way to get us to admit the problem so we could receive the solution. And again, who's the solution? 
Jesus Christ, okay? And so we're going to take a look over the next several weeks. What are the specific commandments that he uses, not just something to do, something to stick on your wall, let's impress those people. Why, of all things, he could have picked 100, he could have picked three, but why these 10 things? What's he trying to remind us in the Ten Commandments. Now, the first one, he says this. You want to prove to him that you're holy? You're holy just like him? You are worthy on your own? You don't need Jesus to, to save you from your dilemma? Then here's what you All you got to do is just keep this one command. Can you just do this one thing? And the first thing out of the gates, God says this. You shall have no other gods. That's all you got to do. No other gods. And then you can prove to me that you're holy. Right? Well, let's take a look at that uh, uh, commandment there in the Scripture. All right? If I can get it to go, there we go. Uh, so we see here in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, okay, this is where one of the occurrences of the Ten Commandments, and the right out of the gates, God says this, then God instructed the people as follows, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Egypt in the scripture typifies sin. Anybody glad as a New Testament Christian that when you get saved, Jesus Christ has rescued us from slavery to sin. Anyway, it's awesome, okay? And so God says, you thankful for that? Just like the Old Testament uh, saints? Hey, here's the logical response. Don't worship any other gods besides me. Why? Because why would you go anywhere else? What other god? Who has delivered you from that dilemma? It wouldn't make sense. It's crazy. Are you thankful? Do you love him? Why in the world would you worship anybody else besides him. So the first test God puts us through, revealing this situation, he is holy, we are not, we are in a serious heap of trouble, we deserve to go to hell, okay, uh, we need to admit it so he can fix it. The first thing he says is this prohibition of worshiping other gods. Now here's where the games start to play, right? And we say, well, hey, listen, I don't worship other gods. I mean, I'm American. I believe in God. I know that God exists. Oh, whoop de doo Read James chapter 2. The demons believe in God and they shudder. Given a mental assent that God exists is not worshiping God. Okay, just believing in him is not what is going on here. You see, it's one thing to say you believe in, literally worship God, the one and only God, Jehovah God in the Bible. Okay, it's another thing to demonstrate it with your behavior, right? Now, let's break it down and hopefully make it practical. The word worship, worship another God. Worship means this, to have reverence for, to pay homage to, listen, to show obedience to. Why does Jesus say in the New Testament? He says, if you love me, you will what? Wash my car. No, he didn't say wash your car, Bobby. They didn't have cars back then. Okay? Although the Bible does say that all the apostles were in one accord. <laughs> I don't even have that in my notes. Pray for me. All right, let's move on. Okay, uh, pay homage to, <laughs> show obedience to, right? That's common sense. If so, so, so if you're worshiping God, you're reverencing Him, reverencing Him, you're paying homage to Him, you're showing obedience, right? So that's the acid test. I worship God, the one and only God of the Bible. How do you know? Then all you got to do is look at somebody's behavior. What? Listen, whoever dictates your behavior, that in essence is your God. That's who you worship. Can we agree on that? That's, that's the definition there. Right? Now, here's the problem. Many people say that they worship God, but we worship anything and everything but God. Remember, what's the word worship mean? To pay homage to, to show obedience to, to have the ultimate reverence for. People say they worship God, but in reality, they worship their friends. And it shows in their obedience. Right? What would the friends say? Oh, they know better, especially as a Christian. I mean, we, God forbids, no, don't even, don't. And, and by the way, all his commands are what? For our good, not our bad. 
But if friends come along and say, hey, come on, man, everybody's doing it. What are you, some kind of a nerd? You don't want to be a loser, do you? That old peer pressure thing. And the next thing you know, people are more concerned about what their friends think than what God thinks. And so in essence, what does that make their friends? That's your God. That's who you pay homage to. That's who you reverence the most. That's who you're obedient to. That's what the word worship means. Let me give you another one. Even as a Christian, how many times have you been in this predicament? I had to deal with this with a secular employer when I was going to Bible college. Many people say that they worship God, but in reality, they worship their employer. Their employer is the one who tells them what to do. And they'll come up to you, and they'll say, hey, listen, it's, it's, not, it's not really lying. I mean, no, don't think, no, it's, it's just withholding information. You know, that's all it is, right? That is, right? And, 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 and listen, by the way, you want to keep your job, don't you? And so what happens? People are more afraid. What Paul said, why were these people doing all this rotten behavior, filthy mouth and bitterness and cursing and feats? Because there is no fear of God. You're more afraid of your employer. You're more afraid of losing your job when God's the one who's a provider in the first place. You're more afraid of your employer, and in reality, your employer, you're more concerned about what he says to do instead of what God says to do. And so guess what? That makes your employer who? Your God. Another one, here's another one, uh, and I've learned this unfortunately from the pulpit. Many times Christians, you know, especially if you become a member, a member of a church, and you have to go through the doctrinal statement, and here's what we believe, and that's right, I'm a Protestant Christian, right, and this is what I believe, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's what I learned in reality as a pastor, and not just here, anywhere I've ever pastored. What really dictates a Christian behavior, it's not the doctrinal statement, and as crazy as that is, and as crazy as it is, it's really not the Bible. You know what it is? It's society. They go to a secular school system with secular friends, with a secular employer, and just society's opinions and all, and because of this herd mentality, where they, <sighs> they get conditioned and pulled into that. Society tells them what to do. Now, hey, listen, uh, the polls say the majority of people think that abortion is okay. What's your problem? Why do you got to be this stick in the mud? Hey, listen, how many times haven't you watched the movies? Everybody knows that homosexuality is okay. What's the big deal? How, hey, listen, it doesn't hurt anybody. What do you have to be? And society pressures, listen, if you don't think it is, what's happening to churches today? Did you hear that one of the uh, major historic Baptist church in our country just elected and hired two lesbian pastors? That's like a double no-no, not just the lesbian issue, but a female pastor. What? A Baptist church. Why? Because who's, dic who's dictating your bed? Who's your God? It ain't the God of the Bible. Society is your God. Society is telling you what to do. Folks, it's happening all around us. Okay? And, and the next thing you know, you're breaking the commandment. But here's the big one. I, I really think those are important. Your friends, the employer, society. Here's one I think that, especially even as Christians, we still have to deal with. And this is really, I think, our biggest enemy. And that's the enemy of self. Right? Isn't that it? Self. We are our own God. What, what's the worship mean? To reverence. To pay homage to. To show obedience to. No, no. This is what I want to do. No, I know better. It's my way. Self becomes God. Right? Now, and this is, this is the conversation we literally have in our mind. Maybe even with God. Hey, listen. God, I know, I know you said this is what I'm supposed to do. But, but see, God, I, 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 gotta, I think I got it figured out. I think I got a better way. I'm, I'm going to try it my way. Yeah, you know exactly. It's Vegas, right? Frank Sinatra, what? My way. Okay, and the next thing you know, what are we doing? We're more obedient to ourselves than we are our own God. 
So what did you just turn yourself into? You're worshiping yourself. You're your own God. Anyway, well, listen, Pastor Billy, come on, what's the big deal here? I mean, come on. Haven't you heard the phrase, I'm only human? Doesn't make it right. I mean, certainly worshiping another God once in a while, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, God knows my heart and all that. Well, let me give you three things real quick on this commandment. If you worship another God, the first thing that's going to happen to you, you are going to end up extremely unsatisfied every single time. Like these people. This is a true story. Wow. Always making a buck. <laughs> New York City. Apparently, New York City, there's 8 million cats and 11 million dogs. How many of you guys would like to have that job? How do you know that? But anyway, whatever. So <laughs> 8 million cats, 11 million dogs. Now, since New York City is basically just concrete and steel, you ever been there? I've been downtown there three different times, I think. Man, there's, there's no ground. What's, it's all pavement, right? All buildings. Anyway, so it's concrete and steel. So when you have a pet and it dies, you can't just go out in the backyard and bury it, right? So the city authorities decided that, that for 50 bucks... 50 bucks, they would dispose of your deceased pet for you. Well, one lady, enterprising lady, she thought she could render a service to the people in the city and save them some money. This is a true story. I got this from an article. And here's what she did. She placed an ad in the newspaper says, hey, when your pet dies, I will come take care of the pet carcass for only 25 bucks, half price, right? So what this lady would do, she would go to the local Salvation Army. She would buy an old, old suitcase for two bucks, and when someone would call her about his or her pet dying, she would go to the home and she'd put the dead pet in the suitcase. Then she would take a ride on the subway where she knew there were going to be thieves. And she would... <laughs> hey, I'm serious. It really happened. She'd go on the subway where she knew the thieves listened, and she would set the suitcase down and act like she wasn't watching. And sure enough, the thief would come by and steal her suitcase. And the writer of the article says this, and my guess is that the people who stole the suitcase, they got a real surprise when they got home. <laughs> Ingenious on the one hand, but whoa, okay. Now, now here's my whole point. I read that, I go, man, this is, what a perfect illustration, right? Because remember, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself. Many of us are just like those thieves, right? And what do we do? We cheat. We steal, so to speak. We chase after happiness. We grab on to what we think is going to give us happiness and security could be our friends, could be the employer, could be submitting to society, could be ourselves. But when all is said and done, it never delivers, it never satisfies. It's like, oh, you kidding me? We open that suitcase, oh, man, a dead cat. <laughs> Come on. Now, here's what's goofy. How many times a day do we do that? A little bit later, and you, oh, you go get a suitcase. Yep, you just basically got a suitcase because you're, you're bowing knee to your employer. Oh, another one? Are you kidding me? That's two dead cats in one day, right? You get home, what are you doing? Oh, worship God? Oh, no, it's time for self. Oh, man, three dogs and a salamander. This is getting worse as I go. How many times do we have to open up that suitcase, if you will, and come across the dead pet before we realize, listen, you will only be satisfied when you worship the one and only true God who is the only one who is holy, 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 worthy of our worship. And if you're sick and tired of opening up a suitcase full of dead stuff, <laughs> worship God. Not your friends, not your employer, not yourself, not society. Worship God. You're always going to be unsatisfied, right? Stop opening the suitcase. The second thing, and this gets even worse, and this, I, I, you guys know me. I've said this I don't know how many times because I came out of this. I came out of this. I came out of not only New Edge, I came out of Satanism witchcraft, the dark stuff, okay? When you live for nothing but yourself, you're not just going to be 
unsatisfied. When you live for nothing but yourself, you are acting straight up like a perfect Satanist. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to some former Satanists and actual ones too. Here's what it's all about. Let's take a look at that. The reason so many people reject the charge of Satan worship is because, as we saw earlier, they have a caricature of the devil and his religion in their minds. He's the horned-headed demon in red pajamas, and serving him, should he even exist, would involve sacrificing babies, drinking blood, or something else equally horrible or bizarre. In reality, though, following Satan is far more mundane and universal than most people realize or would care to admit. But I can do anything that I want to. I can pursue any kind of lustful desires that I might feel. I can uh, engage in any activities that are so-called sinful activities and not really worry about any ecumenical councils making it right for me to do these things. Living for, as I've said, all of the earthly and carnal pleasures. Now, if a Christian said to you, you were just really worshipping yourself, what would you say? In a sense, they would be right. Uh, it is a form of self-worship. We feel that there is no reason why these people shouldn't just flip the coin completely over and simply call themselves what religion has called them for many, many years. Call them devil worshippers or disciples of evil or Satanists. Of course, it's very hard for a person to hang an uncomplimentary label on themselves. And for this reason, for many years, there will be people practicing Satanism as good Christians or other religions. And uh, they will in instinctively pursue the very same things that we are, as they always have. Uh, you were a Satanist for how long? Twelve years. Twelve years. Twelve years. How on earth did you get involved with something like Satanism? First of all, what is Satanism? Let me, let's just give a definition. A, uh, what does it mean to be a Satanism, to have Satan as a God? To adore or to, to, uh, to, adore or to uh, serve one God, or, or Satan. You're serving Satan. You're serving self. More than anything else, it's ah, egocentric, self-centered, serve me, all is me, immediate gratification. That's what all it's about. As the occult magazine Gnosis acknowledged, if there's anything horrifying in its teachings, it's that these are the principles by which most people live most of the time, usually without admitting it even to themselves. Live for self? That's the number one law of Satanism. Do what you will shall be the whole of the law. All about self, self-gratification. And you wonder why things are getting so devilish in our country? What's the number one virtue? We are, I've said this how many times. Number one virtue that we are drilling in kids, we high all the way up. we got a whole generation that's heard nothing but this lie. It's all about you. Self-love, self-this, self-respect. Revere yourself. Self comes first. Self, self, self. What's that? Satanism. When you worship yourself instead of God, it's not only you're unsatisfied, you're acting like a Satanist, and you wonder why things are going down the hill. But not only that, the third thing is, you're going to end up sorry. <laughs> boy, oh boy, I'm guilty of that one. Too bad. Well, see, the problem is that worshiping another God uh, is called a sin. 
And the Bible says that when you sin against the holy God, you deserve to die. I didn't say that. God did. Let's take a look uh, at that passage there. Here's what he says in his word, Romans chapter 3, 23 and 6, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Deserve to die and go to the Bahamas? No, you deserve to die, all of us, and deserve to go to where? To go to hell. But here's the good news. There's an option. If you can admit the problem, God wants to fix it. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He doesn't just leave us hanging. Here's the issue. You worship any other God, whether that's yourself or your friends or society or whoever it is, the employer. If you want to act like a Satanist, it's not just you're unsatisfied. It's just not like you're being a Satanist. Listen, it is a sin and you deserve to die and go straight to hell. That's what God is telling us right out of the gates in this first commandment. Just keep that. Prove to me that you're holy like me. Prove to me you don't need my holy son. Oops. God, I'm guilty. I have sinned. I deserve to die and go to hell. Would you please forgive me, Jesus? Bang! He fixes it. Remember that day when you cried out to Christ? Truly from the heart? He will do it just like that. That's the good news. If we would admit what he's trying to remind us. He's holy. We are not. Serious problems with that. Here's the good news. Admit it and receive the solution. Isn't that fantastic? The second way he reminds us in the Ten Commandments is this one, okay? Because sometimes people rationalize, don't they? Oh, no, that's not me. That's not me. Well, don't worry. We'll get to number nine, lying. Okay, no, right? okay, okay, fine, fine. Someone's like, God, you know, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, as if I don't know, okay? How, how about we do this one, okay? You, you still think you're, you're okay? Well, then don't do this one then. Number two, don't worship any idols, Okay, let's take a look at that prohibition. Once again, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 through 6, you, God speaking, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of what? Anything. I don't care where it is, what it is. In heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or what? Here's that word again. Worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen to what he says. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, yet showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. But that's the problem. We can't keep his commandments. We keep breaking them. But this is the second test that God puts us through, revealing his holiness, our sinfulness, the predicament it puts us in, and now it's this prohibition of worshiping not just other gods, but specifically these things called idols. Idols. And this one, at least here in America, I think we are probably the most guilty of, but we really don't want to admit this one. And so let me break it down for you, right? Because you might be saying, hey, I don't worship idols. I mean, I've been into those Chinese restaurants. I've seen those statues of Buddha, and they got this incense there, and then they got this little thing that you put the coins in. I don't do that stuff. <laughs> I'm much more sophisticated. And of course, you got to walk around like that, Bobby. And that's the sophisticated voice or something. I don't know. <laughs> and posture. I don't worship idols. No way. I, I don't venerate a religious figurine. I know there's certain religions that do that. But not me. I don't pray to a so-called dead holy person. I worship God alone. Really? Let's start to break that down. It's one thing to say you worship God. But it's another thing to demonstrate it with your behavior. So let's break down this word. Not just worship. Now let's break down the word idol. An idol is simply a false or phony God that gets the same amount of attention and time as the one and only holy real God. That's all it is. And that's why God says anything. I don't care where, because we can turn anything into an idol, even ourselves. But I love this definition. Listen, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to this. Idolatry. He said, a man's God 
is that for which he lives, for which he's prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which stimulates, rouses, excites, and enthuses him. I'll say that again. A man's God is that for which he lives, for which he's prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which stimulates, rouses, excites, and enthuses him. That means whoever gets the majority of your time and your affection that you're the most excited about, I can't get this off my brain, that's your God. Listen, and if it's not the one and only holy, true God of the Bible, it's an idol. And this is what I'm not, I mean, let me break it down for you. Many people say, oh, I worship God. I'm not an idol worshiper, no siree. But in reality, they spend the majority of their time with, let's step on it, shall we? Sports. Sports. I mean, people, I think about it. We, we, we just dealt with the definition, that which rouses and excites and enthuses them. You spend your time, your, your energy, your money, and, and, and people, they don't bat an eye. Even in the church, man, they get wild and crazy. They display all kinds of emotion over a silly game. They paint their faces. They get all excited. They scream their lungs out. But when it comes to God, first of all, they can't even seem to find time for him, especially if the games are on. And when they do, they show no emotion. They keep their mouth shut, and they ain't excited at all. So what did that just make sports? Made him an item. That's their God. Now, if you don't believe me, let me see if this illustration will help you out. Let's do another comparison with that predicament. Let's take a look. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day. And this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols. And they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. And the silence was deadly. <laughs> As he tiptoed back to his notes. Now, if you think that's not true, then tell me, every church I've ever ever pastor both sides of the coast now here in vegas why every time when football season starts every single year our attendance always goes down can we just be honest in fact it gets even worse when the playoffs start in fact you want to know the worst attended sunday service bingo you know it i don't even have to say it why because that's your god what's what's the definition again for which he lives, for which he's prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which stimulates, rouses, excites, and enthuses him. And if it's not the God of the Bible, it's an idol. Wow, that's pretty convicting. 
We can't even keep that. Let's move on. Let me give you a couple more and we'll close. It could be sports. Uh, I know sometimes it could be your body. Hey, hey, don't stare. (laughs) I mean, what's the definition for which you live? You're prepared to give your time, your energy, your money. It excites you, enthuses you, right? Okay, listen, I'm telling you, we we could turn ourselves into this. Literally, our body. This physical fitness thing, man. I mean, how many people do you know? They don't think twice. They get up early. Early. Before that evil bird makes that noise. Oh, but then you got to get up for church services. Oh, come on, man. I mean, you get up at 2 in the morning, man. You'll daily devote yourselves. You got this rigorous exercise. You'll spend $5,000 on that thing that does this and that and all this at the same time. Haven't you noticed every year all they do is add another thing to it? It's the same goofball machine. Let's combine this one. Let's take these five different exercise machines. We'll combine them in one and charge them five grand. They'll bite, and we do. And then use it for a week, and then you spend $9,000 on chiropractor bills and insist in the closet. But we'll, we'll do, oh, we'll devote ourselves, oh, yeah. And we'll buy books, we'll get exercise. We'll, we'll go on a restrictive diet. We'll do this, we'll buy extra, we'll pay $9,000 for a genuine leaf of lettuce. Because it doesn't have, I mean, we'll spend, oh, whoa. We'll buy any book, any tape, right? Oh, look at them. <laughs> Tybo, you bow, we bow, we everybody bows and all this stuff. Bow machine, bow flex, bow. But when it comes time to God, I just thought, oh, come on, are you serious? I ain't got time. What? And then when you do show up, you have no devotion. You refuse to study. You can't even over a week do what you're supposed to do to prepare for next week's Sunday school lesson. And boy, don't talk about spiritual restriction. And so that just made your body what? An idol. Let me give you one more. Possessions. What's the definition? Time, money, resources, excitement. Hey, most people, they spend the majority of that time on their possessions, right? They, they don't hesitate to commit all their resources. They've got to build up that, that home, that structure, that thing, that hobby, the, fill it with the latest pleasantries, and they sacrifice hour after hour in the blazing heat. Get that car to shine. Get that truck. Oh, that boat. I got it. Hey, hell. After having a heat stroke, trying to compete with the neighbors. But listen, when it comes to God, oh, I saw. Hey, we need some help cleaning around here. Oh, Kim, I, I got a carpal tunnel from wax on my bow for wax on, wax off. I can't help. You, you won't share your resources. You can't, you can't even sacrifice one hour a week with God. So what's that make your possessions? An idol. Anyway, well, come on, listen, Pastor, come on. Again, I'm only human. I mean, everybody breaks this commandment. You, you can't expect this to be perfect. I mean, so, so what? So, so I worship an idol once in a while. What's the big deal? Oh, it is a big deal. Because, again, just like the first one, in all prohibitions, when you break God's commandments, his holy commandments, you're sinning against the holy God. And the Bible's very clear. When you sin, you deserve to die. That's the punishment for impugning his holiness. Again, I didn't say that. Ezekiel 18.4 says this, for all people are mine to judge, God speaking, all. Both parents and children alike. And th- alike. This is my rule, God says. The person who sins, including idolatry, will be the one who dies. Everybody is accountable for breaking his holy commandments. So God's trying to teach us something. Now, the, not only with the tabernacle, now here with the Ten Commandments. He's trying to show us, listen, there's a problem here. 
I want to fix it, but you won't admit it. And I love you. And I don't want you to go to hell. What's the scripture say? God is not willing that any should perish. He wants people to what? Repent. If you're going to repent, what do you got to do? You got to own up. You got to admit the problem so we can fix it. And so that's what he's doing. He's trying to show us that he is holy. We are not. We have sinned. We're not worthy of heaven. We deserve to die and go to the opposite place, namely hell, for worshiping other gods and even worshiping idols. Because that's how holy he is. Remember, this is about his holiness. We have impugned his, what's holy means no sin, no darkness, no imperfections. Here we come showing up with sin. Ain't going to work. But God has shown us the way out. He sent his holy son, Jesus, to take the punishment we deserve for breaking these commandments that we can't keep. And if we just admit it, that we deserve to go to hell and then receive the good news, I'll take Jesus' righteousness. I'll take his holiness. And that's called the great exchange. It's God's accounting. He's a wonderful accountant. I don't know if you notice this, but the scripture is clear. To break through the theology, here's what the Bible says. That when we ask Jesus to forgive us of all of our sins, when we acknowledge that God's holy, we are not, we deserve to die and go to hell, but we call upon Jesus. God takes all of our rottenness, puts it on Christ on the cross. He takes all of Christ's righteousness and puts it into our account. And all the rottenness is gone forever and ever and ever. Isn't that awesome? But see, that's the predicament. We don't want to admit it. So God has to give us these reminders. And it's not just for us individually. Folks, this is the answer to our country. Did you realize that? Things are getting so devilish. Why? Because we're worshiping other gods. We're worshiping idols. We're worshiping ourselves. We're acting like Satanists. Okay, and if you want to make a difference in our country, and if we want to get our society back on track, then we got to get back and lead by example. We have to remember the purpose of the Ten Commandments. They're not merely a mode of behavior. They're to show us and our country's need of a Savior. Why? Because no external law can change man's internal heart. How many more laws do you put on the books before you realize it's only Christ who can change a heart? And this is, folks, what our country has totally forgotten, and dare I say, even the American church. In essence, what we have done is the church is no longer preaching the word of God so that people can learn that God is holy, we are not, and then the good news that he's willing to save you. But our country is getting so wicked and so rebellious, and the church, we have laid over and slept and allowed it to take place, but we have literally kicked God out of our country out of our courtrooms, out of our schools, and you'll wonder why things have gotten so horrible. It's like this video. Dear God, why didn't you save the school children at Moses Lake, Washington, Bethel, Alaska, Pearl, Mississippi, West Paducah, Kentucky, Stamp, Arkansas, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, Fayetteville, Tennessee, Springfield, Oregon, Richmond, Virginia, Littleton, Colorado, Tabor, Alberta, Canada, Conyers, Georgia, Deming, New Mexico, Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, Santee, California, El Cajon, California, Blacksburg, Virginia. Sincerely, Concerned Student. Reply, Dear Concerned Student, I am not allowed in schools. Sincerely, God. How did this get started? 
I think it started when Madeline Murray O'Hare complained she didn't want any prayer in our schools. And we said, okay. Then someone said you better not read the Bible in school. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and love your neighbors yourself. And we said, okay. Dr. Benjamin Spock said we shouldn't spank our children when they misbehave because their personalities would be warped and we might damage their self-esteem. And we said, an expert should know what he's talking about, so we won't spank them anymore. Then someone said, teachers and principals better not discipline our children when they misbehave. And the school administrator said, no faculty member in this school better touch a student when they misbehave, because we don't want any bad publicity, and we surely don't want to be sued. And we accepted their reasoning. Then someone said, let's let our daughters have abortions if they want, and they won't even have to tell their parents. And we said, that's a grand idea. Then some wise school board member said, since boys will be boys and they're going to do it anyway, let's give our sons all the condoms they want so they can have all the fun they desire, and we won't have to tell their parents they got them at school. And we said, that's another great idea. Then some of our top elected officials said, it doesn't matter what we do in private as long as we do our jobs. And we said, it doesn't matter what anybody, including the president, does in private, as long as we have jobs and the economy is good. And someone else took that appreciation a step further and published pictures of nude children, and then stepped further by making them available on the Internet. And we said, everyone's entitled to free speech. And the entertainment industry said, let's make TV shows and movies that promote profanity, violence, and illicit sex. And let's record music that encourages rape, drugs, murder, suicide, and satanic themes. And we said, it's just entertainment, and it has no adverse effect, and nobody takes it seriously anyway. So go right ahead. Now we're asking ourselves why our children have no conscience, why they don't know right from wrong, and why it doesn't bother them to kill strangers, classmates, or even themselves. Undoubtedly, if we thought about it long and hard enough, we could figure it out. Surely it has a great deal to do with we reap what we sow. Sound familiar? That's what's happening. Why, God, how can it happen? I mean, we're a great, mighty Christian nation. How can we turn so quickly in one generation to a society of such wickedness and rebellion? I'll tell you why. Because we kicked God out. We kicked him out of our courtrooms. We kicked him out of our schools. We kicked him out of our government. And listen, he started to be kicked out of our churches. Amen. And in reality, the reason why our nation is going to hell is because, church, we've allowed this to take place. We're basically telling God to do the same thing. By getting rid of his Ten Commandments and his word from our minds. But God says, oh yeah, he's in charge. And here's what he says will happen to any people, any nation on planet earth when you have the audacity to kick me out. Listen to what God says. Here's what he warns. Psalm 9, verse 9 and 17. The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. That's the good news. Turn to him and your times of trouble. Hey, if we would do that individually, even as a church, as Christians, as America, as a country, hey, praise God, we're on the right track. But here's the warning. But the wicked shall be turned into what? Hell, God says, and all the nations that forget him. 
That's a warning from God. God is not messing around. And if we as a country, even as the churches in America, if we keep trying to get rid of His law, His word, even His commandments, in essence, we're trying to get rid of God. If we personally or nationally refuse to receive God's gracious offer and ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our hellish behavior, we can't even keep these two commandments. Then God says, fine, then have it your way. To hell you will go. Why? Because He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. He never has and He never will mess around with sin. This is the message we as Christians need to declare at this time in this opportunity of a window. Because if things are going to truly turn around, people have to know what God's trying to remind us. He's holy. We are not. I can't keep the commandments. I deserve to die and go to hell. Then we fill in the blank. Now, thank you for admitting that. That's step one. Step two, receive the solution. His name is Jesus Christ. You want to stop the murders? Murderers don't pull triggers when they're Christians. You want to stop the thievery? People don't steal when they're Christians. You want to stop the hatred? You want to start the, the, the harm? You want to stop the crime? Christians. But you're not becoming a Christian unless you go God's way. That's the message. That's what he's trying to remind us in the Ten Commandments. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how 
uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. Jesus Christ has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, 
and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.